And so it is good to see you guys this week. We'll, we'll go ahead and open with a word of prayer, and then we'll get started uh, and uh, continue with and maybe even finish uh, uh, chapter 4 uh, this morning. Let's pray. Father, and Lord, we just come to you and we thank you and we give you thanks and praise for all things because you deserve it. And not just for the things that you do for us, but um, because of who you are. And so, Father, as we as we open up this word and as we study it, it's always our desire to, to understand it in truth, to teach it in truth. And so, Father, I just pray that as we as we look at Romans today or as we look at Timothy a little later today, I pray that you would prepare our hearts, that your spirit would prepare us to receive your word in truth. Give us discernment. And so, Father, that we might um, evangelize the lost, notify the saints. And we know that when we do these things, we exalt our Savior. So, Father, we just pray for this time that we have. Amen. All right, Romans chapter 4. We left off in verse 17, and uh, just uh, by way of a little bit of a quick review of what we went over last week, we went over the fact that uh, the promise that Abraham received, um, that promise regarding him having an heir, remember he was worried that all he had was his servant as an heir, and he's like, Lord, I, I'm getting old here, you know, and so God gave him a promise that he would have an heir. And we looked at the fact that Paul points out here that that promise that Abraham received did not come through or did not come with circumcision, but that it came before that. And that's what verse 13 here in Romans 4 says. And that's important. Why does that matter? Well, because Israel had a position, their thinking was, especially, you know, the Jews that rejected the message that, you know, it had to come through the nation of Israel. It had to come through and via circumcision. And there is, there is truth to that. Was truth to that, I should say. A better way to say it. You did have to go through Israel. But Paul says, but pay attention to the scriptures, everybody. He says, notice that the promise, the promise was by faith to Abraham. So it's not, it's not that, you, that it can only come through the circumcision. God did it for a reason, and he did it with Abraham in, in a specific order for a reason. And it's, it's that the fact that the promise came not because of circumcision, not with circumcision, but before it. And we looked, and, and if you've got questions, we can obviously look at that, or you can talk to me after class. Um, there's a difference between Genesis 15, whenever, when Abraham gets the promise, and there is no circumcision involved. That doesn't come until later. And so... Um, there's a difference between that. Uh, we, we look at the fact that it's better that it comes by faith because as verse 16 points out, that there's a surety by that, by it coming by faith. And that's really a, a, a twofold thing. Um, it's suggesting the fact that you can be sure of your salvation. We can have full assurance of our salvation because if it was by works, we would have reason to wonder. And that's what all the religions out there are, are subject to is did I do enough good works is there enough good to overshadow the bad well the true God of heaven and earth says your bad can never um, shine through and, and overshadow the good it's only his good his righteousness that can truly cleanse us and so the world out there thinking that it can be by, by works doesn't have that assured, assurance we do 
You know, that's why we sing songs like Blessed Assurance. Uh, if I remember right, that's one of Mike's favorite songs. Didn't you say that was one of your favorite songs? Yeah. Blessed, it's one of mine, too. Uh, blessed Assurance, we can have that. Um, but it's also saying that um, it can come even on those not of the law. This surety, um, mean, meaning that it can, the surety is the fact that the promise can come to those who are not of the law, who are not of circumcision, who are of faith. Um, God did it in the particular order and for a reason and for a purpose. And that was so that it could be by faith. He, he established the precedent from the very beginning that it's by faith and not by works. And um, Israel, one of the things that they lost sight of, and again, we would have likely have done the same. And in many ways, we do lose sight of many of the truths that we have before us today. So we're no better. So the point isn't to call them, you know, that or anything like that. It's just the truth. They lost sight of it. We also looked at uh, the last point that we looked at last week was Abraham, the father of the circumcision uh, through circumcision, but also the father of uncircumcision by faith. So he was a father of both. He was a father to the Jews. That's why they called him Father Abraham. And he was a father of them through circumcision. But he's also a father, Paul is pointing out here in Romans, to the uncircumcision by faith. Now that doesn't make, and we, we, we talked about this as well, uh, that that doesn't mean that we replace Israel. And this is where people get confused. They start getting confused about this whole grafted in thing and, and, and how he's the father of, uh, of the uncircumcision. So therefore we must have taken the place of Israel. And you would be surprised. There may, be a, there may not be a lot of churches out there that specifically teach that the church replaced them, Israel. Now, there are some that specifically say it. But there are some that don't say it overtly, but then their doctrine suggests it and teaches it. And so to be a consistent Bible student, we have to understand that the Bible doesn't teach that we replaced Israel, nor does that allow us to take on their blessings in their curses and all of those kinds of things. And so you have to be mindful of that. Uh, we know that, that um, replacement theology, which is the term that's referred to, or that's referred to, that it cannot be true. And we looked at uh, the reason for that. And we went to Romans chapter 11, and you can look at Romans chapter 11, verse 25 on, and you can see where it says, Israel shall be saved. Now, there's a thing about is or shall that's pretty important and you could probably ask an attorney which we have one here shall is a very important word there's a difference between shall and may right you may do this i remember when i was a, a, a student in school can i go to the bathroom well teacher would come back you know can you or may you you know there's a difference between you may and you can well there you know you look at our constitution you look at our laws uh, there, if there are things that shall be done and shall not be done. It's a specific word. Israel shall be saved. It's a definite thing, and it's futuristic. Our, is our salvation futuristic? No. Our, our salvation is present. And so keep that in mind. All Israel shall be saved. We have not replaced it. Did, did I get that legally correct there? All right. 
There we go. All right, so that's kind of a review of what we went over last week. Any questions on that before we pick up the text? Does that make sense? Very good. All right, Romans 4. Let's pick up in verse 18 here. It says, who, talking, you know, again, talking about Abraham and his situation, who against hope believed in hope that he might become the father of many nations according to that which was spoken, so shall thy seed be. And so here when it talks about who against hope believed in hope, in other words, Abraham believed God um, and believed that God was able to do what only God could do. You know, this against hope, this idea. Keep in mind that Abraham was a really old guy. And his wife, I'm not going to say that about her. That would be rude. But you know what I mean. She was probably a little bit beyond the years of having children. And so did, did Abraham, um, you know, when he had hope, the things and the observations in the world around him would suggest to him that there was no reason for them to have children. But he hoped against hope. He understood that there was something greater that was going on here. He trusted in a God who was able. He believed God was able to do what only God could do. It was faith in God um, that compelled his belief when the outward appearances of the world would say otherwise. Again, talking about their age. Um, that, I think, again, as we, as we, we look at these um, verses, anytime I think that you, when you study Scripture, you want to understand what it's historically saying, but also you want to know what it is that you can learn from it. Sometimes you've got to be very careful to not apply to yourself certain things, but there are still things that you can learn from Scripture, even the Old Testament um, situation. You know, Jews, um, as we saw in Scripture, um, didn't believe Jesus because they didn't even believe the promise of him by Moses. That's what Jesus said. You don't believe me because you you didn't believe Moses. See, and why would that be the case? Well, I'm guessing if it's been a thousand, two thousand years, and you've got Roman occupation, and, and and you see how things are working in the world, you know, if I grease the wheel, I get authority and power. Those who do things a certain way, they're the ones in charge. You know, you begin to see the world through the world, and you begin to no longer, as Abraham did, where Abraham, who against hope, believed in hope. Abraham, as we see, he he continued to have hope, even though, as we looked at, it was 14 years between those things taking place. And one of the mistakes the Jews made, like I said, is is turn with me to John chapter 5, is that Jews, as, as as time went on, I think didn't believe the promises. Look at John chapter 5, verses 46 and 47. He just got done saying, I'm not going to accuse you, the Father. There's one that accuses you, even Moses. That's verse 45. Verse 46, again, this is Jesus. For had you believed Moses, you would have believed me. For he wrote of me. But if you believe not his writings, what was his writings? The Old Testament, the scriptures. 
these people that are out there, you know, the Pharisees and all them, they don't believe in Jesus the Messiah because they don't even believe the writings. If you believe, but if you believe not his writings, how shall you believe my words? And I believe, and again, I'm, I'm putting this carefully, I believe that they, meaning the Jews of Jesus' day, staggered. And Paul's going to use that word here about Abraham that he didn't stagger in a minute. And I believe that the Jews, one of the things, that's not the only reason why they didn't believe Jesus, but one of the things was they staggered at the promise of God. That pro- those promises that were made regarding the Messiah so many years ago, they, ha- they don't see it going on. They see the world as it is, and they staggered those promises, and they didn't have hope against hope. Does that make you understand where I'm going with that? That the idea that they, they were blinded by the things they saw, and they didn't believe in God. They didn't believe God was going to do was able to do what it was that he said he was going to do. Now, again, I'm not saying that was all of them. But here, Jesus is clearly teaching that the people, these people didn't believe Moses, his writings, who spoke of him. And so, uh, Mike. What's the word you're using? Staggered? Mm-hmm. What's that mean? I don't know. A stagger, I think of a drunk. That's kind of what it is. Stagger, if somebody comes and tells, if, if God comes and tells you that you're going to have a son even though you're 100 years old and you have faith in it, but then it's been a long time, do you stagger at that or do you continue to hold fast in faith? And so we see that Abraham... Waver, waver, waver. Waver, stagger, yeah. And I use stagger because that's the word God used. So, Huh? Blind staggers. Yep. And so... um, that's what I, I think that was part of the reason. And that's a lesson to us. Now, we don't have to worry uh, about the fact that if we stagger in our faith that we're going to lose our salvation, anything like that. Uh, but it should tell us that you know, we shouldn't be so caught up in the observations of the world that we forget that our God owns a cattle on a thousand hills. Our God speaks and things happen. He, is there anything too hard for God? He is not a man that he should have to repent. And so whenever he says how things are, we should be able to take him at his word, not stagger, not waver. And so that is one of the applications that we can see from these scenarios. Look at Second Peter. This is another reason why I think that, um, that the Jews wavered or staggered. Look at Second Peter chapter 3. Peter talks about that type of event. Second Peter chapter 3, verses 1 through 4. Second Peter 3, verse 1 says, This second epistle, beloved, I now write unto you, in both which I stir up your pure minds by way of remembrance, that you may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets and of the commandment of us, the apostles of the Lord and Savior, knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days scoffers. What does he mean by scoffers? Well, when you think of somebody who scoffs, usually you tell somebody something and they scoff at the idea. 
Well, that's pretty much the same thing that Peter's talking about here. Scoffers walking after their own lusts and saying, notice what they're saying. Where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of the creation. You see, Peter's describing people who in the last days, which, what did Peter say in, in, in Acts chapter 2? What were those days? He said they were the last days. Peter considered his message at Pentecost to those who were experiencing the last days. And here he's writing about the people of the last days, what they're going to be like. And that is going to be people who are going to scoff and say, hmm, yeah, I know what it says in that book, but you know what? Where is the promise of it coming? They wavered. They staggered at it. Paul, when he's talking here about Abraham, and he's talking about Abraham's type of faith, says he didn't waver. He didn't stagger at the promise of his uh, his promise regarding an heir. And so we can see that God is commending Abraham for having faith. But again, please don't confuse. This is not suggesting that um, you have to hold on to your faith. If you don't continue to have faith in your salvation, you're going to lose your salvation. It's not what this is teaching. It's teaching us a lesson that you can rely on the promises of God. That's what it's teaching us is that Abraham had that kind of faith. And so do we have that kind of faith when everything else surrounds us seems to suggest his promises won't transpire? I know every, all kinds of people are so worried about what's going on in the world. What's going on? Who's, who's the president? Who's the speaker of the house? Who's doing this or whatever that? Now, personally, I don't like a lot of the politicians that are in office. That's fine. But I guarantee you not a single one of them is going to prevent God's word from happening. Not a single one of them. Not a single one of them is going to prevent any of the promises that God gave us. Not one. So that's why I can, you know, not worry about it that much. And I hope that you don't worry about it that much, you know. So because these are the things that we can learn from that. Any comments on that before we move on? Yeah. Like the word of faith kind of does. Yeah, you're exactly right. Because I mean, use this a lot of, as I come out of some of that, and I remember hearing that. That um, so it's something that God promised him. Right. Yeah. We can't we can't take promises that don't belong to us. Because guess what? We can't make God accountable to the promises we want. Uh, there's probably been a lot of people, and I'm sure we can find many people as examples in Scripture that, that want to do that. And so we can't assume for ourselves the promises they want. That's one of the, the usual trademarks of replacement theology is they want to take the promises but not the curses. So Abraham, with his faith, required some, some help from the Lord after mm-hmm. hearing and believing. But then there was some doubt Mm-hmm. And it, it, the Lord assured him that it was going to happen as he had promised. Mm-hmm. It's the same thing. You have to believe what the Lord says. You have to believe what God has told you and not what God has told other people. That's that's very important. And yes, keep in mind, um, 
Abraham's, the fulfillment of God's promises to Abraham was not dictated by the strength of Abraham's faith. It was dictated by the faithfulness of God. It's God's faithfulness that makes our faith um, something we can we can have. We, it's it's again it, we would lose sight if we begin to think, oh Abraham, this man of faith and everything. He did have faith and he did a great thing. It should be committed. But there are times, just like George talked about, there are times where Abraham did some things that weren't very reflective of somebody with faith. You know, that, that's, that's, that's the case. That's, that happens. But we see, as it relates to this, God, these are God's words. It's God's word here. And you go to Hebrews chapter 11, and Abraham is commended for his faith. And so, back to Romans 4, verses 19. I'm going to read verses 19 through 22 and try and discuss those in one section here. I'm going to read verse 18 just for context again. Verse 18, Who against hope believed in hope, that he might become the father of many nations, according to that which was spoken, so shall thy seed be. Verse 19, And being not weak in faith, he considered not his own body now dead, when he was about a hundred years old, neither yet the deadness of Sarah's womb. Here's where I was talking about the staggering. He staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God and being fully persuaded that what he had promised, what God had promised, he was able also to perform. And therefore it was imputed, imputed to him for righteousness. Now there is a lot in that right there. And, and I do want to take a look at, at some of that stuff in particular. It says here he was not weak in faith, and he considered not his own body now dead. And that's obviously a reference to the fact of his age. We even see it here, being almost 100. And Sarah being, uh, I believe, if I remember right, you can remind me, maybe I'm wrong. Isn't she the only woman that God mentions her age? 90. Uh, 90, I think she's the only one that um, her age is mentioned. And so he did not consider that. And what it means by that, it's, it doesn't mean that Abraham... Um, what it, what it means ultimately is he didn't see it as something that God couldn't overcome. Whenever, whenever God makes a promise to you, the, the actual promises to you, um, let's see that he's going to um, um, basically, that you are sealed until the day of redemption. Do you take him at his word? Do you believe that he, when he promised that you were going to be sealed to the day of redemption, do you think he accounted for the sins that you're going to commit in the future? I think so. I don't think it's something that he can't overcome. And so here what we see is is that, that Abraham didn't, uh, it's not saying that he didn't realize their age, it's that he didn't consider it something that God couldn't overcome. He had faith that, hey, God said it, that settles it. So, Val. Um, I don't know where I got this from, but... Um but I, it makes your point too. Um, and it's basically talking about some words there in verse 19 that weren't in the original text. Not. Yeah, but if you read it, it kind of makes your point because in being that weak in faith, he considered his own body now dead when he was about 100 years old and the deadness of Sarah's womb. And then after considering it, he staggered not in the promises of God through unbelief. Right. So it even makes it stronger if 
true. Yeah, because I think that what it what it means is is that he was very much aware. Matter of fact, if you're familiar with the story, Sarah laughs. Well, they both end up laughing. They both end up laughing, and but she initially laughs about the idea of, without getting into details, you know, shall, you know, shall he have pleasure at that age, and, and so um, they understood that there was obstacles to overcome, but they, did, Abraham anyway, didn't consider it a problem. That should be a lesson to women that when a man brings up a woman's age, he should laugh. That's right. That's right. And for all those who wondered, that was Mike Williams who said that. <laughs> but yeah, he. It's in other words, it's something that he didn't see that God couldn't overcome. Which again, which is why he's one of he. He is the father of faith, because he is a lesson in many ways for us. That it was. It's not something that he can't over. There are a lot of people today, and I've had people come and sit in my office, in that office, that they don't believe that they can be saved because of their sins. You mean to tell me you don't think God can overcome something you did? Oh, friend, let me tell you something else. God can overcome anything. And so there are certain things he can't do. He can't violate his holiness. Um, But as the scriptures talk about, turn to Numbers 11. Did you have your hand up, Tom? Uh, yeah, I was just going to mention that uh, I think George said that uh, Abraham was maybe a little weak at times. He was faith. Uh, but here it says he's being not weak. So he, 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 he understood that this was going to happen, period. Sure. And he, and he did on this he subject. Savage, you know? Yeah. But he's been on 10 years, I guess, here, that he's probably a little curious. You know, can this really happen? You know? Sure. Yeah, and so what we know is... is um, on this topic, it appears as though that Abraham never wavered on that, never lost, never lost hope, never, never thought, well, it's never going to happen. Um, even whenever it appears, that would even suggest that whenever he, at Sarah's um, um, request or suggestion, went into her handmaid, that he didn't, still didn't think that he wasn't going to have this child. Uh, now. Did Abraham waver and or have, have moments of lack of faith, at least in my opinion, over other things? I think he certainly did. Uh, but on this, he most certainly appears from here, he did not. Look at Numbers chapter 11, verse 18. So talking about this idea of Abraham and, and um, the impossibility of God, Numbers 11, verse 18. So, and say thou unto the people, Sanctify yourselves against tomorrow, and you shall eat flesh. Now, if you remember right, during the Exodus, the people were not happy of, with just the manna. They, they wanted more than just bread and water. They, they wanted some meat. And so, in verse 18, it's talking about this. And say, say thou one of the people, sanctify yourselves against tomorrow, and you shall eat flesh. For you have wept in the ears of the Lord, saying, Who shall give us flesh to eat? For it was well with us in Egypt, therefore the Lord will give you flesh, and you shall eat. And you shall not eat one day, nor two days, nor five days, nor ten days, nor twenty days, but even a whole month until it come out of your nostrils, and it be loathsome unto you. 
because that you have despised the Lord which is among you and have wept before him, saying, Why came forth we out of Egypt? And Moses said, The people among whom I am. Notice, try to consider what it sounds like Moses is saying here. And Moses said, The people among whom I am are 600,000 footmen. And thou hast said, I will give them flesh, that they may eat a whole month. Shall the flocks and the herds be slain for them to suffice them? Or shall all the fish of the sea be gathered together for them to suffice them? Now, what do you, what do you think it sounds like there? Yeah, it sounds like Moses, to some degree, to what level I'm not going to convict Moses of. But it certainly sounds like Moses is like, you know, I don't see how you're going to do this. I mean, is this, what, what's going, you know, what are you talking about? And, and we kind of know this based upon God's response to this. Look at what he says. And the Lord said unto Moses, is the Lord's hand waxed short? In other words, is, it, is that something I can't reach down and do? Is my hand too short to handle this thing? Thou shalt see now whether my word shall come to pass unto thee or not. And so we can see here that um, God is basically explaining the idea that there is nothing that is impossible to God. And there's other many verses that you can go to that he can that it talks about that again within context. Um, there's there's a um, uh, he's passed now an elder I've served with I mentioned to him before mentioned him to you before back in St. Louis when I was uh, an elder there and he wrote a booklet called you know um, uh, I forgot exactly what it was titled now but basically things that God can't do God can't do certain things and it's right God can't lie he can't do certain things uh, and so it's not saying that God can do anything meaning violate his own holiness but within those bounds God spoke things into existence you know it's not difficult where am I going to get the meat to feed these people well I don't know speak it into existence probably you know so understand what God you know it's not impossible for God to do things and so back here to Romans chapter 4 we see that he did not waver but he was fully convinced is what he was. He was fully convinced. Fully, meaning completely convinced. Not wavering one bit. He wasn't in the back of his mind. God who knows the hearts and the minds of all people. It's God who's saying, it's not Abraham saying, well, I'm fully convinced and then walking away telling Sarah, well, maybe this will happen. No. God's judgment was that Abraham was fully convinced. Another thing I want you to notice back here in Romans is a very important thing. Something that I I think that's very important. Look at verse 20. He staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith. And notice that last statement. Giving glory to God. Faith in God gives God glory. We need to sometimes understand that. That gives him glory. It glorifies God. Which means disbelief does what? Does the opposite. Disbelief does the opposite. It calls God a liar when we say that we don't believe. Turn to 1 John chapter 5. 1 John chapter 5. When we, when we say that God is not true, we call him a liar. And we do not give him glory. We give him the opposite. 1 John chapter 5 verse 10. 
Again, John writing to, you know, the nation of Israel, the little flock, basically. 1 John 5.10 says, He that believeth on the Son of God hath the witness in himself. Notice what it says. He that believeth not God hath made him a liar because he believeth not the record that God gave his Son. When God says something and we say, that's not true. If you want to find out if that's calling somebody a liar, try that with your spouse. Try that with your boss. Whenever somebody tells you something and you say that's not true, you're saying that they're a liar, for the most part, if they're a place, in a place of authority, especially when it comes to God. When God says, this is my son, and man says, no, it's not, they made him a liar. And that's a universal thing. When God says, and you don't believe it. Tim, did you have your hand up? I thought I saw somebody have their hand up. So understand that you're calling him a liar. Look, Go back to the Old Testament. Go to Deuteronomy chapter 1. Deuteronomy 1.29. Here's an example of one of those situations. And again, you can think of many situations in Israel's past uh, that, that can be used as an example. Deuteronomy 1.29, Then I said unto you, Dread not, neither be afraid of them. The Lord your God, which goes before you, he shall fight for you, according to all that he did for you in Egypt before your eyes, and in the wilderness, where thou hast seen how that the Lord thy God bare thee, as a man does bear his son. In all the way that you went until you came into this place, yet in this thing you did not believe the Lord your God, who went in the way before you to search you out a place to pitch your tents in, in fire by night to show you by what way you should go, and in a cloud by day. And the Lord heard the voice of your words and was wroth. In other words, he was angry. He was ticked off because he heard what you were thinking and what you were saying. And he swore, saying, Surely there shall not one of these men of this evil generation see that good land that I swear to give unto your fathers. Save Caleb, the son of, you can pronounce it, he shall see it. And to him will I give the land that he hath trodden upon, and to his children, because he hath wholly followed the Lord. Now obviously, if you're familiar with the story, this is whenever the children of Israel were told, There's the land, take it. Well... Let's send some spies out. And God was okay with that. But whenever they came back and said, let's not go in there, whenever at least 10 of them came back and said, let's not go in there, and the people were afraid and they didn't believe God. Instead, they believed the reports of man. And so God was angry. God was angry because what did they do? That doesn't give him glory. That doesn't give Adam, whenever he didn't believe God. And so we have to understand that not believing God is, is not okay. Um, you know. But Abraham, as we see back here in Romans chapter 4, he believed God and he believed as verse 21 that he was able to do what he said. And so let that be a lesson for us to, to have faith in God and to understand that when, whenever we call God a liar, we are going against our very 
purpose. Our very purpose in life. Look at Revelation chapter 4, verse 11. Why were you created? People want to know. Why, why was I created? Well, the Bible tells you actually. You want to know. Revelation 4, verse 11. Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure they are and were created. You and I, whether we like, like to think about it this way or not, we were created for God's pleasure. That's why we were created. We were created to give God glory. And if you think of different examples in Scripture, you go back to Romans chapter 1, and what is it that you find out? What do you see? You see that they called God a liar. They didn't glorify God. What it's a, they didn't glorify God as God. But instead, they worshiped four-footed beasts. So they didn't... They said that you're not God. These are God. So they didn't acknowledge the truth. They didn't have faith in God. They didn't believe God who revealed himself as God. And so what they do? They took his glory and they gave it to another. It is a big deal whenever man says, I don't know if I believe God. That's a pretty big deal because we're going against our very purpose. Our purpose is to give him glory, to give him honor. And so anything that we do that dishonors God is not worshiping God. Um, and so back here in Romans chapter 4, and I'm having a tough time finishing this chapter, aren't I? What do we see here? Because of Abraham did the thing that God wanted. That one thing that God wants, faith. I've said it, said it before. God wants one thing from us, the other things he wants for us. It's not that he doesn't want want men and women to be able to have physical relationships. But he knows how it needs to be done. He wants you to have faith that he's right. It's not that he doesn't want, you know, you, know, you, you to, to, to teach your children, you know, whatever. But he, he understands these things that we're supposed to do. He wants you to have faith in him when he says something, that's good enough for me. That's what he wants. And so here, what does it say back in Romans chapter 4? Being fully persuaded what he had promised, he was able to perform, and therefore it was imputed, verse 22, to him for righteousness. Therefore. In other words, because of faith, because of belief, um, again, which gives God glory. Therefore, God has imputed it to Abraham for righteousness because he had faith. And that's what it's talking about here. And again, I would just stress to you and remind you that it's not to say that there aren't going to be times in your life that you may even have doubts about your Christian faith. Um, I'm not suggesting that you're never going to do that. I've shared with you there were times in my life before I was a pastor that I had those moments. But what do you do with those moments is what matters. And so um, understanding that that's... what this is talking about is when God says something, you read it in here and you say it's, and you say it's not true. That's, this is what this is talking about. Don't think that you, as a, once you've become a believer, guess what? You are sealed in the day of redemption, and that is one of the things God said. So, All right, verses 23 through 24. Let's read those. He says, Now it was not written for his sake alone that it was imputed to him, but for us also, 
to whom it shall be imputed. If we believe on him that raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead. And so here, what are these two verses telling us? In other words, that the Old Testament may not be to you, but guess what it is for you? That's what this is saying. It was written down for those to whom it was going to be imputed to also. So not just for Abraham's sake was this written down, because guess what? It was written down after Abraham was gone. It was written down also for our sake, to whom it would be imputed. This here gives us an understanding, basically what Romans 15 is saying. Look at Romans 15, verse 4. It's a good verse to cross-reference to put in your scripture there. Romans 15, 4. For whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning that we through patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. See, the Old Testament, again, is not to us, but it is certainly for us. Even though the Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the Gospels, isn't written to us, it certainly is for us. This whole thing is for us, and it was written down for our learning. And so that's what Romans 4, verses uh, 23 and 24 are talking about, is it was learning down, written down for our learning so that we could learn from it, and for our hope, to increase our hope. We can understand whenever we see that that Peter is dealing with those who say, where is the promise of his coming? That Peter says, I lie not, I'm a witness of these things. We can see that maybe my timing is not God's timing. We can have hope. Same thing with Paul. And then he he talks about this doctrine, what with this imputation. Uh, That is you know, its own doctrine, so to speak. And obviously I can't teach the doctrine of imputation in three minutes. Um, But ultimately it's the idea of imputed righteousness. We get Christ's righteousness imputed onto us. It is laid to our account. It is put to our charge. And in return, Christ gets our sin imputed unto him. And this, this is how it works. And this is how it works. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. 2 Corinthians 5, 21. It says, For he hath made him, meaning Christ, to be sin for us, who knew no sin. Christ didn't know sin, didn't sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Well, how does that work? That's the doctrine of imputation. Christ's righteousness imputed to the believer and the believer's sin imputed to Christ, which is why, again, you hear me say it's not a matter of what some would teach, you're saved forever because Christ is holding you in, in his hand and he'll never let you go. No, It's one step further. You are his hand, and he's not going to cut his hand off. You literally are in Christ. You have his righteousness. Now, if that's not better, I don't know what to tell you. You literally have his righteousness. And so that's what we see this is talking about. Verse 25. I would like to get that, so we might go three minutes late. Who was delivered for our offenses and raised again for our justification? Look at Romans chapter 8, verse 32. 
I've shared with you before, this is the first verse I ever actually memorized as a Christian. Romans 8.32. He that spared not his own son. So this is talking about who? The father. He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all. How shall he not with him also freely give us all things? And ultimately what that's saying is, is if you were a dirty, rotten scoundrel and God did this for you, then do you think that he's going to be against you now that you're, you're saved by him? And, and it's really kind of the, the con- context that's being talked there. But, but really what we see here, that Christ was literally handed over. Handed over, just like a, a jailer. You see the same, same word used in, in the Greek, talking about somebody who hands over a prisoner. God literally handed Christ over like a security guard hands over a prisoner. And he did it for us. Acts 22, look at, look at Acts, 20, or Acts 2, 23. Understand that while you're turning there, do you understand that there was a council of the Godhead before Genesis 1-1? Before Genesis 1-1, when God said, you know, let there be light, or whenever he began creation, that first week, you understand that the Godhead, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, literally had a council together, and they decided before the foundations of the world were laid that Christ would do this for us. Let that blow your mind. Acts chapter 2, verse 23, it says, Him being delivered by what? The determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God. You have taken and slain with wicked hands. The God had determined before creation that Jesus would be handed over. And I tell you, that meditate on that and, and see if it's if you're gonna have a bad day still. Second Timothy, turn with me last verse of the day, second Timothy chapter one. Second Timothy chapter one verse nine. We'll actually be looking at this verse later in the message. It says, talking about Christ who hath saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus. Look at those last four words. Before the world began. That's talking about Christ's purpose was designated. And those who are in Christ, what we receive was determined before the world ever began. And so that's, that's what verse 25 is talking about there, is, is this um, being delivered over. So, Any questions? Comments? Okay.